nation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day till evening falls in crimson rays. His fingerprints and flakes of snow, his breath upon the spinning glow, he charts the eagle's flight. Tamsin Edwards is a climate scientist who is also a talented musician. Tamsin talks to Michael Barclay about the changes which are needed in the way we live our lives. As a child, Tamsin Edwards wanted to be a concert pianist, and she went on to play the clarinet, saxophone and double bass, and to sing in choirs. Music 
is a vital part of her life now, but she's also one of our leading climate scientists. At King's College London, studying the uncertainties of climate model predictors, particularly in relation to rising sea levels. In 2018, she joined the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the UN body responsible for assessing the science related to climate change. Instantly recognisable with her trademark cropped blue hair, she's a passionate science communicator, blogging, writing for newspapers and frequently appearing on radio and television. Tamsin, have you detected a change in attitude to climate change in the last few years among corporations, governments, the public? Do you think people are finally getting some sort of message? There's been a huge shift um, and... I think that, you know, that's in public opinion, that's in um, government pledges, in, in business. So it's, it's been, you know, it's been extraordinary that the shift in the last few years. And, you know, I'm sure many people are studying the different factors, whether it's a, a bit about um, the different activists like Greta Thunberg, whether it's the Paris Agreement of 2015, whether it's, you know, quite possibly some of the extreme events we've been seeing, the wildfires, the extreme heat, floods, and we're getting a lot better and a lot faster at estimating how much more likely those events are under our influence, under human influence. If someone listening to you talking now is thinking, I wonder what the single most significant thing I could do to make a difference is, and what are the things that you do? Well, I mean, I always say that... It, you know, individual actions in terms of our own homes and workplaces are important, but really this is so big, it has to be structural change. So we have to think about who hold the levers of power, if you like. It's those big scale changes actually that have to happen of, of supply chains, of choices that are sustainable, um, whether it's in food or in travel. And, and that's where the difference is. And, and the, the things that we do in our homes and our personal choices are important, but it's about getting governments and businesses to know that we care, that this is important to us, that we support um, the changes that need to be made and need to be made quickly if we're going to meet the Paris Agreement targets. So do you try and limit your flying, your driving, your meat-eating? Uh, well, I don't drive, so that one's easy. Um, <laughs> I, I drove in America, but I, I don't have a licence here because I, I, I prefer not to. Um, and yeah, I don't um, have a complete ban of flying, but I, I try to sort of reduce it to the absolute bare minimum and give, obviously, you know, even before the pandemic, video conference talks or combining perhaps visiting family abroad with a with a work trip so that it's only one trip. And, you know, the same with something like um, eating meat and uh, beef. You know, I, I'm not uh, vegetarian or vegan, but I try to sort of cut down, I don't know, have beef once, once or twice a month rather than as a frequent thing. So it's, you know, I think... A lot of people might think this is all about sort of giving up absolutely everything and changing absolutely everything about our life. And it, it doesn't have to, you know, it's still recognisable, uh, but it's all about having the structures in place to make those things easier. We, for example, we see now more vegan choices in, in restaurants, uh, which makes it easy to choose something, you know, tasty and healthy um, without having to feel like it's a sacrifice. As the composer who perhaps most wonderfully personifies the marriage of heart and mind. It's perhaps not surprising that Bach is so loved by scientists, and he certainly has a special place in your heart, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's that sort of 
I think that sense that mathematical minds are, are drawn to Bach, um, as many others are, of course. And I, you know, I, I play Bach on the on the piano. This piece is something that we played at school in our final concert in 1997. I played the double bass and we had a really visionary head of music at Exeter School called Simon Foxall um, and also the choral director, Julian Sutton, who really, they were so ambitious for what was possible in terms of um, school children's music. We played incredible pieces um, of complexity in the, in the choir. We sang the Allegri Miserere in the same concert. It was all about, I suppose, really taking children's music incredibly seriously and, and having ambition to play the most wonderful music in the world like Bach um, not sort of feeling like you had to simplify or dumb down that you could really go for the for the big ones if you like. Well as we listen to the Bach concerto in A minor uh, for violin strings and continuo um, I will try and imagine you playing the bass with all your friends. Well, and not just that, but uh, the the concert that we played in 1997 in our final concert, uh, Jane Gordon was playing the violin. So there's a <laughs> wonderful um, cycle here, I think, of, of having the John Elliott Gardner recording of this piece. Uh, and now she plays with the English Baroque soloists um, 24 years later. de Brzezny was the soloist in the third movement of the violin concerto in A minor by Johann Sebastian Bach, John Elliott Gardner conducting the English Baroque soloists. Tamsin Edwards, in 2018, you were diagnosed with bowel cancer and had to have emergency surgery, followed by chemotherapy. Now, you've written about the debilitating effects of chemo, the exhaustion, the brain fog. So how have you kept going with your university job and, indeed, your work for the IPCC? Um... I suppose in some senses the answer is I haven't because I've I've just had to go part-time because I'm still struggling a bit with fatigue three years on after the chemo, uh, which is not something I expected. It wasn't very clear at the time how long fatigue can last for some people. And uh, so I'm trying to sort of... Uh, I'm not being very good at taking a break now because, you know, with, with COP, there's an incredible interest in hearing about climate change uh, which is fantastic but I think in general <laughs> I'm trying to sort of take a little bit of a, a step back uh, and rest more. It's interesting that we were talking so much about uncertainty but of course uh, a cancer diagnosis is I suppose the ultimate personal uncertainty isn't it? Yeah it really made me see probabilities in a completely different way you know they feel very abstract when they're 
written on a page or in my computer code. Um, but to sort of have odds given to you of survival in five years um, or the odds of neuropathy, the, the nerve damage uh, that I have a little bit of left in my fingers and feet, is pretty different to trade off those risks uh, the more chemo uh, that I had, the more likely I was to have the nerve damage. Um, but obviously, the better my survival was likely to be. Um, so it's pretty different when you're trying to work out what your own level of risk is. You know, do you feel like sort of safeish if you've only got a one percent or a five percent chance of the of the cancer returning, or does it have to be zero percent? What's your personal level of, of risk in that way? Did you find music a comfort when you were ill or were you too ill to really take it in? Yes, I did. And and um, in the hospital uh, after my surgery, I, I, I always look back on it as quite a, a peaceful time, just having um, earphones in and sort of drifting in and out of sleep to music or to spoken word. But I think maybe the link for me with, with music and, and the cancer was I was quite afraid of the nerve damage making it difficult to play the piano again because actually I'd I'd forgotten this but I look back um and actually for the first uh six months or a year I think uh I was wearing gloves to type uh, and when I slept because the sensations were too much and too uncomfortable and, and gloves helped to numb that so I was quite worried that that would continue and that I I wouldn't really want to play the piano again but thankfully it's it's faded it's still there but it's it's now manageable and I, and I can play without it bothering me well music next by Arvo Pert uh, a piece from 1990 that you've conducted we haven't added that to your list of achievements yet <laughs> and you said it was one of the hardest things you've ever done oh it really was I mean a, a huge admiration to conductors and directors of, of choirs and so on to memorise every part and keep track of it. This was um, a group of physicists and engineers and their family at Fermilab where I was doing um, my PhD work. We put together a programme of 10 pieces and it was incredibly hard but I was I was so amazed again at the sort of willingness of, of these wonderful amateur singers to work hard and to try these difficult ambitious pieces. Um, the one we're going to hear is is it was so hard the um the speed of it the the language of it particularly and the harmonies but it gives me goosebumps this piece every single time i could i could put this piece on over and over again um to listen to it because it's so short but because it just always makes me smile every time i listen to it Paul Hillier 
was conducting the Pro Arte Singers and Theatre of Voices in Arvo Pertz, Bogorodice Jevo. I was thinking, Tamsin, as we were listening to that, that there's nothing like trying to conduct something to find out that you shouldn't really be doing it. <laughs> yeah, it was so hard. <laughs> I never conducted again afterwards. We worked absolutely flat out for six months and that, that one perfect concert and then, yeah, never again. <laughs> Tamsin Edwards were recording this programme ahead of COP26 with all the uncertainty we've discussed. Would you describe yourself as uh, an optimist at heart about your own future, about the future of the planet? I am definitely an optimist, um, or perhaps hopeful is 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 a good way of putting it. And I, I always, as well, look for uh, silver linings in everything. And there are many silver linings, and there are many benefits around acting on climate change, whether it's reducing our um, air pollution, trying to tackle other challenges at the same time, like biodiversity or water pollution, um, the way that we live, trying to be healthier in our food and our travel. So I think that message is getting through that it's not, you know, this idea of loss of quality of life or giving things up, but actually it's about reimagining the future and making it a vision of what we want it to be. We've been given this opportunity, this this moment of, of clarity and of having to plan the future rather than just stumble blindly along into it. And and that in itself is, is a very special. It's very hard to think about every aspect of that at, at once and make sure that we don't mess up, you know, take one solution for climate change that then has a, a bad side effect somewhere else. It's, it's hard and we have to think about equality for different people around the world and we have to think about wildlife. Um, but, you know, that's a really unique, time in human history.
Hello, God. Are you out there? Can you hear me? Are you listening anymore? Hello, God. If we're still on speaking terms, can you help just like before? I have questioned your existence. My resistance leaves me cold. Can you help me go the distance? Hello, God. Hello, hello. This old world has gone to pieces. Can you fix it? Is there time? Hate and violence just increases. We're so selfish, cruel, and blind. We fight and kill each other in your name, defending you. Do you love some more than others? We're so lost and confused. Hello, God. Are you out there? Can you hear us? Are you listening anymore? Still on speaking terms, can you help us like before? All the free will you have given, we have made a mockery of. This is no way to be living, we're in great need of your love. Hello. has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 123. It's followed by the Icelandic song Hea Hymna, composed by Thorkel Sigur Bjornsson and is sung by Voches 8. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease. 
with the contempt of the proud. today and the Bishop of Aberdeen has a story to illustrate what one person has done to improve the lot of prisoners. It's about a remarkable American lady called Mary Antonia Brenner. She only died eight years ago. She came from a wealthy family in Beverly Hills, California. She was twice married, twice divorced. Uh, she had eight children, but in midlife she changed direction. She had got to know uh, about a high-security prison, La Mesa, in Tijuana, in Mexico. It was a hellish place, the worst of the worst. And she did an extraordinary thing. Of her own free will, she decided to go there and live as a prisoner among the prisoners, and she was there for 32 years. She lived uh, in a 10 foot by 10 foot cell in the women's section 
of the prison. Uh, she lived like any other inmate, mate, concrete cell, that's where she slept. She had only cold water and prison food. Uh, all she had in her room was a crucifix, a Bible, uh, a Spanish dictionary and a hard prison bed. And in the morning, she'd line up with the other prisoners for roll call. Well, she came to be called La Mamma, or the prison angel, or Mother Antonia. She moved freely among the prisoners. They trusted her. She'd touch their faces. She'd pray for them. Many of them were among the most violent and desperate of men and women. Yet she walked with them, comforted them, consoled them. She dried their tears. She'd hold their heads between her hands when they were dying. And she even um, stopped prison riots single-handedly. What an extraordinary uh, gesture. What an extraordinary life. She became a nun and she founded a community to carry on her work. And they're still doing that. So there we are. Through, Christ, through her, Christ overcame hostility. We may not be able to do exactly what she did. But let's... During this prisoner's week, let's try and do something, overcome the hostilities. Thank you. There's a rich man worth more than a foreman, a stranger worth less than a friend. There's a baby worth more than an old man, your beginning worth more than Is a president worth more than he is assassin? Does your value decrease with your crime? Like when Christ took the place of Barabbas Would you say he was wasting his time? Well, how much do you think you are worth, boy? Would anyone stand up and say would you say that a man is worth nothing Until someone is willing to pay I suppose that you think that you matter Well, how much do you matter to whom? It's much easier at night When with friends and bright lights Than much later alone in your room do you think they'll miss one in a billion When you finish this old human race Does it really make much of a difference When your friends have forgotten your face Well, how much do you think you are worth, boy? Would anyone stand up and say would you say that a man is worth nothing Until someone is willing to pay If you heard that your life had been valued That a price had been paid on the nail Would you ask what was traded How much and who paid it Who was he and what was his name 
if you heard that his name was called Jesus, would you say that the price was too dear? Held to the cross, not by nails, but by love. It was you who broke his heart, not the spear. Would you say you are worth what it cost him? You say no, but the price stays the same. If it don't make you cry, laugh it off, pass it by. But just remember the day when you throw it away. And he paid what he thought you were worth. How much do you think he is worth, boy? Will anyone stand up and say... Tell me what are you willing to give him In return for the price that he paid Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short God spots And today he tells us to eat spaghetti I have discovered how to avoid being lonely. Do you want to know how? Simple. Eat spaghetti. No, seriously. Have you ever noticed that if you eat spaghetti, everyone watches you to see how big a mess you'll make? Well, come on. How can you be lonely when you're such a centre of attention? Now, God watches you as well. The difference with him is, he isn't just interested in gloating like those around you in a restaurant. He watches us making a mess of our lives and then wants to help us clear it up. Excessive blessings to you. Toodaloo the new.
there's mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me.